to join us. Well, as we look at this topic today, which is one of our final skills as we've been going through this material, um, it is called Fight Cleanly and it is one that I think we all want to know how to do properly, but we really don't want to know how to do it <laughs> because it's not an easy one. Um, I have mentioned before, but I identify as a recovering people pleaser. What is that, you may ask? Uh, people pleasers tend to do anything possible to avoid conflict, even if this means turning into an entirely different person. Um, a people pleaser's worth depends on how others see them. People pleasers need validation from others to feel good about themselves. And we can go to extremes uh, to earn words of praise from others. My husband would often drive home with me um, in years past from social situations and shake his head and be like, why do you act like you don't know this thing? You know, when someone's talking to you, I know you know, you know you know, and I'm like, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I want them to feel good about knowing something and telling me that. And he would just shake his head and, and go on his way. But uh, one of Jesus's greatest works that he has done in me um, since being in relationship with him is moving me to a place where my worth is found in him. And I don't need everyone around me to be happy with me or with the situation they're in, in order for me to be okay. But I will be honest with you that too often I do still settle for peace faking more often than I should. I want to read you a piece out of this book, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? Gail mentioned it a few weeks ago in her, or two weeks ago in her message. And this is on Matthew 5 verse 9, uh, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. The popular perception of peacemakers, perhaps influenced by the words negative connotation in both politics and counselling, is that it is of weakness and avoidance. We view peacemakers as people who desire the appearance of serenity by suppressing any visible conflict and who avoid the difficult and costly work of forging real reconciliation. Such people, however, are not peacemakers, they are peace fakers. Avoiding conflict is not the way of God and doing so does not make us his children. The author goes on to say, The Apostle Paul tells us that God has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through the cross we discover God's kind of peacemaking. It is costly and painful. Jesus forged peace not by denying the presence of evil in the world or by avoiding its power, but by courageously facing it head on. It was a hard-won peace worthy of God's praise. I think the thing is here, you don't have to be a people pleaser to want to avoid conflict. I think most of us would admit to being uncomfortable with it. It is painful. It doesn't feel good. And we don't like it when it's present in our relationships. Um, and here again, we see the importance of a series like this one because we need to add tools to our toolkit in order to approach conflict like Jesus in a way that allows us to love others um, in a healthy, godly way. Um, we always want to remember that relationships are more important than any problem. And we avoid conflict when we uphold fake peace. And not only do we not get resolution to problems at hand, but we will always inflict damage to relationships. The 
flip side is for us with conflict that when we want to stop avoiding conflict and we all of a sudden decide we're going to confront a problem in our relationships, we use dirty fighting tactics. For me, that is being loud and forceful and throwing in a good dose of lecturing. For some of you, it might be silence or walking away. It might be criticizing, complaining, or even rage. So often our family of origin, that is how conflict resolution was modeled for us growing up, shapes how we respond now as adults in times of conflict. We may use the same dirty fighting tactics, or maybe we use the complete opposite ones in pursuit of like not repeating uh, bad habits. But I think we all end up in the same place, which is struggling with true peacemaking and reconciliation in our relationships at home, at work, at school, or at church even. One of the great peacemaking stories in scripture relates um, the remarkable uh, like resolution between brothers, twins, Esau and his younger brother Jacob. And this is like a mortal conflict. This is, was involving their very lives. And we read the story in Genesis 25, but I'm just going to give you like a really quick uh, overview of the whole story. So firstly, Jacob, the younger brother, convinces Esau to exchange his birthright, that is his inheritance, his authority as the older son, for a bowl of stew. Then Jacob continues with the help of his mother, Rebekah, to trick his father, Isaac, into blessing him instead of Esau with the family blessing. So, of course, Esau is not happy and he swears that he is going to kill his brother, Jacob, after his father dies. So Jacob flees and he goes to live with his uncle in Haran and there he marries Leah and Rachel. He takes concubines and he has 12 sons and one daughter and he prospers. But finally, at God's request, Jacob flees Haran and he goes back to the land of his birth where he must confront his brother Esau. So fearing Esau is going to, in Jacob's words, kill us all, the mothers with the children, Jacob places his trust in God and continues on this journey of reconciliation with his brother. First, he sends ahead of him a whole series of peace offerings to Esau, animals and herds and people from his, uh, his you know, that work for him. And then while he's waiting to then approach Esau, he has this extraordinary experience during the night where he wrestles with God and God uh, blesses him. He gives him a new name. He becomes Israel instead of Jacob. And in the process of all that, he also dislocates his hip. So the next morning, Jacob, who is now Israel, limps humbly because of his hip injury um, and this whole uh, approach that he's now taking after wrestling with God about this reconciliation, he goes to meet his brother. And he, before he meets Esau, Israel bows down seven times. And all that Esau does is embrace him. And they weep. And then even more astonishingly, Esau says, I don't want any of your gifts. I don't need any of these peace offerings. And Israel says to him, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Isn't that amazing? Like now, instead of seeing a brother who was sworn to kill him, he sees the face of God. 
So this, there is no hero in this story. Like Jacob really acted poorly towards his brother and Esau didn't win any fans by threatening to kill Jacob. But this story is also about brothers who grew up in a family system rooted in favoritism, which influenced how they related and responded to each other. It also highlights how we as humans have a tendency to lean towards retribution instead of reconciliation. It seems like the easiest way for most people to address any given situation is uh, to retaliate or punish someone else rather than forgive past actions. But the story of Esau and Jacob is also a story of equal forgiveness and growth. Both parties had changed. It shows just how difficult reconciliation is. It involves risk. It comes with sacrifice and maybe even injury. But it is a story that demonstrates that peacemaking takes faith and trust in God and that God will meet us in our fear and in our anxiety, which I, you know, we all feel right when we're about to try and approach conflict or make a bridge to reconcile with people that we're out of sorts with. God is in that and meets Jacob in that moment. The hope of this story for all of us is that we might be able to see the face of God in the face of our enemy. In Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Pete Scazzaro states the key principle of a clean fight, or in other words, approaching conflict like Jesus would, is acknowledging that true peace will never come by pretending that what is wrong is right. And this is what we tend to do when we avoid or want to cover over conflict. Um, I wanted to read you a couple of examples from the workbook because I don't think any of us are fighting our twin brother for a birthright, but this is might be what it looks like, uh, conflict looks like in our current day. Carl is upset about the behavior of his spouse who constantly comes home late after work. He says nothing. Why? He thinks he's being like Christ by not saying anything, although he does give her a cold shoulder. He is a false peacemaker. Pam disagrees with her co-workers at lunch when they slander her boss. She is afraid to speak up. She goes along. I don't want to kill the atmosphere by speaking up and disagreeing, she thinks. She is a false peacemaker. Ellen loves her parents. They are both quite critical about how she raises her children, however. Each holiday is filled with tension. Ellen doesn't say anything because she doesn't want to hurt their feelings. She is a false peacemaker. Loving people well by approaching conflict in a respectful manner involves us taking responsibility for a difficult issue. We need to eliminate our dirty fighting tactics. We need to speak and listen incarnationally, and that is like Jesus would speak and listen. And we need to come willing to negotiate a way through to the other side of difficult issues. Um, if you would like a detailed outline of some steps that you could take, um, please scan the code that's coming up on the screen because there you will find some sentence starters that help guide you through a conversation with someone with whom you might be experiencing conflict. Remember, this skill is a conversation, but it's one that you need to enter prepared and being clear of the goal, which is not to win, uh, but to use all the skills that we've been learning to love people well and to stay in healthy relationship with people. Um, I would encourage you to go back and watch the other videos or I can get you this workbook um, so that you can continue to practice and learn these skills that can help us um, not just fake our way through peace, but come to a real peace. 
Now, the steps outlined on this sheet, I would say, help us with beginner negotiations. We're not suggesting that you take these steps and rely on them to solve long-standing conflicts. Often those kind of conflicts benefit from help uh, from someone with help from someone from, that has, you know, specialized training. So please don't hesitate to ask Pastor Tom or the elders or myself um, to help you if you are in one of these situations because we would love to connect you with the right resources to assist you to work towards uh, reconciliation in some of these like really hard situations. Um, and also there are definitely areas and relationships in our walk with Jesus that don't qualify for negotiation. You know, we've mentioned before the sacredness of marriage vows and that the parent and child relationship both come with inherent boundaries. Romans 12.8 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So to model Jesus's true peacemaking, we need to be emotionally healthy people. We want to make sure that we are not pursuing false peace. We need to do the self-reflection work of identifying our family of origin influences and our dirty fighting tactics. We need to learn new ways of doing things. And as I mentioned earlier, this takes practice. But we also need to invite Jesus into our conflict. He will meet us there. And he will be by our side as we seek to love others well. Let's pray. Jesus, you brought disruption in order to bring true peace. You did not avoid conflict or appease people. You didn't ignore tensions or differences. You loved unconditionally. You shed your blood on the cross. We invite you to help us find a way through difficult issues so that we may experience the peace that comes, the healing that is promised, and the freedom that results from loving people with your love. Amen.